0: Awesome. What a great time in worship. Man, so good to be here today. guys excited to be here today? Being in the presence of the Lord and worship, so good to be here. And most of you smell really good, so that's also uh, a big bonus. Just kidding, you all smell good. It's always awkward when pastors tell you to turn to someone and say something, so I'm not going to do that right now. Like, you know, turn to your neighbor and tell them, God bless you or something. We're just going to avoid all that awkward and uncomfortable stuff today. Hey, guys. Uh, Normally, getting up and, uh, and and starting off a service, I would I would goof off and tell a bunch of jokes and kind of kind of get everybody feeling good, feeling loose. Talk about the ducks beating the Cougars, which we should enjoy. Yes, you know, um, even Kyle Ogreco can enjoy that today, in Jesus' name. But we got some business to take care of today, so I want to talk just for a few moments and just talk through the the new uh, order from the governor that came out this week about the 14-day shutdown. Everybody see that potentially? Uh, And it limits religious gatherings to 25 starting on Wednesday. So uh, I wanted to share some thoughts. I just want to ask you to uh, just just take a second, listen to what I have to say, and, and learn what we're going to be doing moving forward. You know, back in March, it was 14 days to stop the spread, 14 days to get everything under control. And it wasn't 14 days. It went on and on and on. Uh, we had our last service in uh, at Regal Theater on March 8th. And then we, we didn't meet at all. And those of you know, we were on live stream for months and months and months until we did gather in the park in the summertime. And then obviously God gave us our wonderful building. We're excited to be able to gather here. Yeah, it's awesome. But uh, during that period of time, Uh, We were doing live streaming and and really, you know, being compliant with everything. And as we're doing now, we're being compliant with all the the government orders, limiting services to 100. Uh, Joy Church is a church of about 600 to 800 people. So the vast majority of our congregation, which, by the way, guys, hello, hello, on live stream, are tuning in uh, via live stream and and watching the service there. And that's great. We're so glad to have everybody tuning in live. Obviously, we'd rather be gathered together in the the house uh, at the same time. So we've been limiting and going with mask mandates, uh, uh, honoring authority. I want to be very clear, COVID is real. There is a pandemic. I don't have a tin foil hat on. I don't do late night talk radio and act like this isn't real. I had COVID. My parents had COVID. They were hospitalized. We understand it's real. Many of us have known someone with it or have had it or have maybe potentially lost someone. So we're not denying this, but we've been going along with all the orders and the, the mandates for the past uh, several months, even though it's been stretched on and on and on. And uh, during that period of time, just being live stream only, it was heartbreaking to me uh, as a pastor and just as a fellow Christian to see the numerous people in our congregation, maybe even some of you watching online right now, who perhaps because you're vulnerable and you're not able to be in the, you know, comfortably in the live services or those that maybe felt like they weren't allowed to or for whatever reason, but very many people suffered spiritually. We did a survey <clears throat> through the church and actually asked everybody, some of you maybe filled this out. Uh, and said, are you, are you doing better in your walk with the Lord? Or how are you doing? And, and we had a, a vast majority of people said, no, actually my spiritual life has suffered uh, through this shutdown. And it, it's very sad uh, to see that some people in the name of protecting physical life were actually losing spiritual life. Including people going into depression, uh, members of our congregation, brothers and sisters of ours losing their faith, losing their hope, losing confidence, being isolated Um, And and I'm not making any political statements today. I'm not making any scientific statements today. I'm not a doctor. I didn't even play one on TV, and I didn't stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. Um, I'm not a doctor, right? I have a sweet uh, jump hook, which is like Dr. J, but, you know, no, I'm kidding. I don't even have that. My qualifications do not extend there. But what I do know is that God placed us uh, in Eugene to be pastors and shepherds, and the flock has really suffered through this shutdown, and people were, were very deeply impacted spiritually, and though we've complied and done everything, you know, going along with, with everything, that was something that we, we noticed, so when this 14-day freeze was, was called, um, I just felt in my spirit we need to honor our authorities, and I believe in authority. How many of you know as Christians, we're called to honor the authorities, whether we agree with them or not, right, because that's what our parental authority is based on too, huh? my kids never agree with my authority, but I ask them to obey it. We need, to, uh, we need to obey our authorities, and when the governor said we need to have a 14-day freeze, um, we got our staff together, we said we're going to honor our authority, but I'm also going to hold her at her word, and we're going to uh, honor that for 14 days, because it was said 14 days in March, and it was said 14 days now, and uh, I understand it's a moving thing, and I don't, I'm not speaking in a rash way or anything, so please hear my heart on this. But also what we're going to do is we're not going to shut down our church and shut down our services and leave people out isolated in the cold and not have opportunities to gather. So here's what we're going to do. So for the next 14 days, we're not going to have large gathering services. We're going to honor what our governor asked us to do. We submit to that authority. Um, We're going to limit our gatherings to 25 But on top of that, or in in alignment with that, we're, we're also not going to not gather, and I want to make sure that every person at Joy Church that wants to get into a live gathering, that wants to get with their brothers and sisters to worship God, which is commanded by Scripture, which is essential to spiritual health, which is meaningful, and is not just a constitutional right, it's a kingdom command. And I want to be clear. We, we don't have a heart. We're not trying to be political. We're not trying to be rebellious. That's not me. I'm conflict-averse, guys. I would prefer if we just went live stream and just everybody liked me and everything was happy and good. I don't want to be standing up here having to navigate through this, but you know what? When I woke up this morning, I said, Lord, I don't work for any, any of the people in the church. I don't work for the government. Lord, I work for you. Amen. I'm called to, by you to lead and, and guide, and I felt from the Lord very clearly that we were not to leave people out again and just, and just say live stream only. So for those that are on live stream, we're going to continue to live stream. but for those that want to gather, we're going to continue to gather. And so here's how we're going to do this. So for the next, what I need you to do is you've got to participate with me. How many of you know this is like real stuff? I was talking to a pastor uh, this week who's been threatened with jail time, lawsuits, fines. There are churches across the country that are being sued. I have a, one of my, my um, coaching clients that I coach as a pastor. He, his father, their church is racking up hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines just because they're having church service. Uh, and whether you agree with that or not is immaterial. That's what's happening, right? That's just a fact. That's what's happening. Um, and so it's not, like, it's not like a joke. This is real life. It's actually scary uh, to, to be able to say, hey, we're not, we're not just taking this um, at face value. We believe that we need to gather. There could be ramifications. We're going to do everything we can do to honor authority and to walk in alignment. But we're also, we have to respond to a higher command and a higher law, which is, which is God's law. And the scripture very clearly commands us to gather. We're called to glorify God. We're called to worship. And so we're going to do that to the best of our ability in unison with culture. But when culture and civil law interrupts and and tries to contravene God's law, then it's an easy choice that we ought to obey God's law. So what I need you to do is participate with me in prayer. We need to pray for our authorities, not curse them, not curse the governor, not curse, you know, presidents or presidential candidates or whatever, not be cursing, but Praying blessing and praying for wisdom for our leaders politically. Also praying for us as church leaders for wisdom, for guidance, right? Come on, we need to pray. Pray for God's will to be done and his kingdom to come. The second thing we need you to do is I need you to email me, okay? So this is your homework. I need you to email me at pastorjake at joyeugene.com and let, let us know. Just send an email that says this is, we want to gather, we want to be part of services, that, you know, my, and, and give us the number. So if it's your family, there's five of you. Hey, we're committing for the next two weeks. We want to gather. And here's, because here's what we're going to do. We're going to make sure everybody gets to come into a church service. It's not going to look exactly like this because we can't do 25 or 30 services, right, for every single person. But we're going to have gatherings of 25. We're going to activate leaders in the church, activate staff to have a time of worship, a time of prayer, and a time of teaching of the word where we can come together and exercise the kingdom command as Christians to gather and worship Jesus. But you got to send me an email at pastorjake at joyeugene.com. You with me? And le- let me know. Let us know. This is, this is you know, our family. This is the number we want to gather so that over the next two weeks, we can establish different times for gathering. Um, if that means I have to come down here at the church every single day and be here, then that's what we're going to do. If that means you know, our staff is activated, we have leaders in the church, many people that can preach, that can teach, uh, we're going to continue to gather. We're not going to leave anybody out in the cold again and for those of you that are on live stream, I want to encourage you uh, to be a part of the body and, and come into, uh, into a, a live gathering uh, if you're able to do so. Uh, but send an email to Jake at joyeugene.com. Does that make sense? Yes. And let us know we're going to do that. After the two weeks, you say, well, what are we going to do next? I don't know. <laughs> That's the answer. The answer is we don't know because it's, it's always changing. What we're coming to, though, just, just to speak into what I do see, and i love talking to pastors across the state, talking to pastors across the nation, is that for, for whatever reason, and I'm not, again, it's not a political thing, I don't even want to go to that, uh, but it seems that there just is always a moving goalpost of when things will be uh, open. Um, and so, again, when, in March, it was like, well, we're going we're gonna, to you know, go into this, this shutdown, and it just was extended, 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 extended. And so there is a, a, I'm going to take the governor at her word at this time. 14 days, this is a freeze. We're honoring that authority. But past that point, we're going to have to look at it and say, do we just not ever gather again? Because what happens if it goes six months? We're coming up to close to a year where we haven't been able to actually invite our church together to worship Jesus. Now hear my heart on this. We're not denying there's a pandemic. I just told you I had it and I was sick. It didn't feel good. I, I was fine. I'm fine now. But my parents were both uh, sick. Both of them had to spend some time in the hospital, more precautionary than uh, treatment-wise. But, but nonetheless, we're not denying it. Are you with me? So we're not, we're not, oh, it's not real, it's fake. No, we're not doing that. We're, we're understanding that there's a truth intention here, that we live in a fallen world, there's sickness, there's, there's risk that we take in everything that we do, correct? All of you got on the freeway and if you drove on the Eugene Beltline, you took a significant risk that far exceeds uh, COVID. For sure, because I've seen you all out there. I'm not going to talk about Gary Frost, (laughs) my brother. We were racing on the freeway yesterday, and he didn't know that it was me, but uh, we had a good time. Uh, We were racing on the freeway, and uh, he beat me. He won, so. uh, (laughs) uh, But we take risks every day in life, and so life is not without risk. If you go onto the Joy Church app, I did a little podcast about how safe as life gets, uh, our midwife told us about birth. We were experiencing fear and what's going to happen, Bethany going into labor and what's what's going to happen. And, uh, and she said, guys, this is as safe as life gets. In other words, there's risk in life. There's, op- there's chance for, for things to go wrong. You could get sick. Um, you could catch COVID at church. Did you know you could? Yes, you could. You could catch it at the grocery store. You could catch it. it people get it that have been wearing a mask and sitting at home. We live in a world where illness and sickness is a reality we need to be wise and be cautious, right? That's why we're going with masks and doing everything we can do that our authorities are telling us to do. But we also do not shut down our entire life and live in fear and just say, well, we're not going to gather as a church. And I'm just, if you want a theological, full theological statement on this, go back a few weeks ago, I did a message on the, the gathering of the church and why theologically we believe in the value, the importance of gathering. I believe that to fully participate in the body of Christ, you actually have to physically gather. You have to connect with other brothers and sisters that we don't just consume religious content in a, on a stream or a, you know, just watching sermons. Um, there, that is a part. That is a healthy aspect. It's one part of it, but it's not the whole thing. There actually needs to be that community. And I also believe there needs to be a specific time we come together to actually glorify God and worship God together in a church context. And so we're dealing with these two realities, that we live in a world where there's sickness and there's risk, and that's going to continue on right? Uh, even, even if there's a vaccine and a miracle cure and all this kind of stuff, we still live in a, in a scary world. There's still attacks. There's still, there's still war. There's still sickness. But are we going to just stop living our life and following Jesus and following the Bible? No. We're going to weigh those two things together in wisdom and walk forward. So for us, for right now, for the next 14 days, we're honoring what the governor said. We're going to go to 25-person gatherings. We're going to have everybody that wants to gather will be in a gathering if you send me an email at pastorjake at joyeugene.com. Good? All right, you with me? Will you pray for me? Will you pray for us? Will you pray for our church and pray? Awesome, awesome. <clears throat> you guys are, are the best, the absolute best, and we love you so much, and our heart is just to, to lead. We don't, we're not trying to get consensus. You, you could think this is the worst decision ever, and it could be, but the job of a leader is to say, this is the course, let's go this way, listening to the Holy Spirit, and we believe in that. But man, we just love you guys so much. And our church is doing so well. I, I, I applaud you for your unity, for your, your, your uh, just following Jesus through this time. You guys are keeping a good attitude. You are doing so well. And I'm so proud of you. And I, I know we're going to get through this together. Not just trickling across the line, dribbling across the line, barely making it. We're going to run with our arms out across the line through this whole season. Amen? Amen. Father, I pray you would lead us and guide us through this time and this season. Uh, It's a difficult time, a confusing time. There's many opinions and many thoughts uh, from all different directions, but Lord, you are leading and guiding us, and we appreciate that. We thank you, Lord, and we follow you. Give us grace and just keep us together in a spirit of unity, Lord, as we gather online, as we gather in in physical uh, in-person gatherings, as we go to groups of 25, as we go to joy groups, Lord, as we do everything we can do because we believe in the vision and the mission that you've called us to accomplish here in this community to be a city set on a hill to be a lighthouse in the darkness to be a place that people can come and experience the life of jesus that's available to them that they can come and hear the gospel and and get freedom in you lord we love you we give you this time in jesus name everybody said amen awesome well guys i'm going to jump in and go rapidly through this message and get you guys out to beat the other churches to the best restaurants while everybody's going right now today because they are going to get shut down in four <laughs> so this is not the day to like do your Dave Ramsey budget go out to your restaurant come on right yeah boo. get out there go eat your porterhouse everybody's gonna go to the best restaurants yeah I'm not paying no no I rebuke that in Jesus name I don't know We've been in a series called Brutally Honest, looking at the prayers of the Psalms, recognizing that in life we go through trying times, tumultuous times, fearful times. Even the fact that we're standing here in church or sitting here in church talking about how do we navigate government orders. And, you know, I don't your pastor doesn't want to go to jail. Hello. But we're trying to navigate all this stuff. We're living in, in, in times that are fearful and tumultuous. And oftentimes it's easy to dump on other people. It's easy to get brutally honest with the person on social media and, you know, get really brutally honest. But we're actually called to bring our complaint, bring our prayer, and bring the burden of our life to the Lord. It says in 1 Peter 5, 7, give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you. Isn't that good to know that God loves you? He really cares about you. He wants you to bring that burden to Him. That's the proper response of a Jesus follower. It's okay to get real with God, to get brutally honest. Say, Lord, I don't know what to do. God, I don't know what's going on. I wish it wasn't like this. And Lord, I'm trusting in you. I'm giving it to you. And that allows God to work in us, even through fearful times. Now, there's a, there was once a, a, a severe thunderstorm one night, and this mother was tucking her small son into bed. And right as she was about to turn the light off, he asked in this trembling voice, Mommy, will you stay with me all night? The mom smiled and gave him a hug and said to him tenderly, well, honey, I can't. I have to sleep in daddy's room. And then there was a long silence. But finally, it was broken by his little shaky voice saying, what a big sissy. (laughs) (laughs) I actually relate to that. The other night, Bethany in the morning, she goes, Jake, did you know what you did last night? And I'm like, did I do it again? No, I, I went out into the howling in the full moon. No, I don't do that. But I'm like, no, what happened is she goes, you woke up in the night and you were like saying, oh no, the election and the vote and it's all, you know, and like I was all worried about the whole world, you know, and apparently I was talking about it in my sleep. And I, she said, are you awake or asleep or something? And I go, no, I'm awake, you know, but I wasn't, I was not. So I definitely need her to, to be with me, uh, uh, reassuring and comforting me. Uh, anybody else wake up in the night and say weird stuff? and do, don't, don't out yourself. I, just, I have problems, so I don't know. But God is there to take care of us. He's there to lead us and guide us. Last week, we went through Psalm 23, the first half of that passage, and we're going to go through the second uh, verses today. We talked about that the Lord is our shepherd. We have all that we need. He lets us rest in green meadows, leads us beside peaceful streams. He renews our strength, and he guides us along right paths, bringing honor to his name. And then David, as he continues this psalm and this prayer, he goes on to the next verses. And we're going to look at these these, uh, last three verses today. He says, "'Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings.'" Surely, your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. David is giving us this psalm, this prayer, and he's using this imagery of a shepherd. We talked about this last week that David actually says God is a shepherd, the Lord is a shepherd. And this is interesting because at this time in history, a shepherd is a lowly profession, it was a humble profession, it wasn't an honorable profession. And yet David reflects on the fact that the Lord is our shepherd. We know that Jesus himself said, I am the good shepherd. So when we look at this imagery of a shepherd, God takes the, goes from his high and lofty place where he's deserving of all honor and praise and glory, but he humbles himself to, to, to stoop and to serve and to lead and guide us, and even to take this lesser position as a shepherd because of his great love, because of his great care. The Christian faith is the only faith in the world where the transcendent and the glorious being, the, 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 the uh, supreme being, the, the God figure, actually becomes uh, human and actually comes down and serves. Are you with me? It, it's, it's rather scandalous when you actually compare it to other faiths and worldviews and religions, and yet that is the picture we have. And so David says God... He's a shepherd. The Lord is a shepherd. And he continues this imagery of a shepherd. You know, we know that God is that good shepherd that leads us beside those green pastures. And how many of you are like, yeah, green pastures. Awesome. And he leads us beside those still waters. And we're like, I like still waters. That's great. And then he also leads you into the valley of the shadow of death. Not that one. (laughs) Not that. He leads us into the darkest valley. But David continues this imagery of a shepherd because it doesn't mean you missed God when you're in the dark valley. There's moments in life where you're going to go through the valley of the shadow of death. Maybe for you, that's 2020. Maybe for you, it's, it's going to be 2021. I don't know. But we walk in, a, in this broken creation that's been flawed and destroyed by sin. We're going to walk through those dark valleys. And it doesn't mean God's abandoned you. In fact, the shepherd sometimes leads you into those valleys because he has a purpose and a plan. It always cracks me up when Jesus tells his disciples in the New Testament, he goes, hey, guys, hop in a boat, go across the lake. I'll meet you there. And they're like, all right. <laughs> because Jesus told us, it m- must mean there's lollipops involved, right? Everything's going to work out just fine. They get in the boat, and then there's a raging storm. And can you imagine? They must have been like, did we miss the Lord? Who prophesied this? You know what I mean? Why are we out here in this, in this storm? And Jesus was the one that put them in the storm. And now he comes walking on the water like, check this out, you know? <laughs> they can't walk on water, right? It, like... It's a little different, right? And so I imagine they were a little bit cross with him, you know? And yet Jesus was the one that sent them. Why? Because God actually sends you sometimes into the dark valleys and into the trouble so he can show his glory in your life and teach you something. So even though you might find yourself in a dark valley and you think, well, it's God if I'm at the green pasture and it's God if I'm by the still waters, but it's the devil if I'm in the dark valley. How many times have you rebuked the devil when it was the Holy Spirit leading and guiding you in your life? Just because you find yourself in the valley doesn't mean that you weren't being led. And you've got to understand something about David. When he talks about the valley of the shadow of death, he's not just a poet and he didn't know it. David walked through the deep valley of despair, the valley of the shadow of death, literally fearing for his life. To give you some context, David, as a young man, was called to be the king of Israel. He was anointed by the prophet Samuel. It was a great moment. It was like, boom, I'm going to be king of Israel. Come on, somebody. And then he goes and he defeats Goliath and he cuts off Goliath's head and he's the savior of Israel and the, the ladies are singing a song. They're like, Saul has killed his thousands, but David is tens of thousands and he becomes the, the captain of the, the army and he goes out and he's, he, he's, you know, laying waste to Philistines. This is back when there was like knights and dragons and castles and all that. No, I'm just teasing. But this is ancient times and David's this, this military guy and he's, go, you know, it looks like he's on the, the road to success, the stairway to heaven. Are you with me? And then Saul gets really jealous, and everything sort of starts to go sideways. At one point, David is actually playing his harp, and Saul's kind of in a mental episode, and he actually grabs a spear or a javelin, and he tries to throw it and pin David to the wall. Now, I don't know about you, but I just my preference is not to be pinned to the wall with the spear. That's just my personal preference, right? I, I don't want to speak for anybody else, but... but. I mean, that's crazy. Like, you say you had a bad day at work because your boss wouldn't give you the Friday off that you wanted, you know, in two, two weeks or whatever. This is a pretty bad day at work. Saul tries to kill David. In fact, he gets so enraged, he has a plan to kill David. There's a conspiracy to take him out. Saul's son Jonathan has to say, David, you've got to get out of here. So David ends up actually fleeing. He's exiled. He loses his citizenship. He has to go to, out into the wilderness, into foreign nations. He's hunted like a dog. Uh, for 13 years, he's hunted in the wilderness. He, he he goes different places. There's obviously different stories that take place with David. He <clears throat> kind of has a little base at Ziklag, and then they burn that to the ground. Everything goes wrong if you study his life. For 13 years, he goes through all of this. So when he talks about the valley of the shadow of death, this isn't just poetic. This isn't just metaphorical. For him, it was a real valley. When you go to Israel and you look at the the landscape where David was at, we actually went to a place called En Gedi, which is a, an oasis there in the desert, kind of near the Dead Sea, and David would be living in caves and there was actually one moment where Saul was in the cave and David could have killed Saul but he doesn't and multiple times he was just close to being murdered and close to being in this situation I ate some almonds before now they're just doing weird things in my mouth let me just work this out here (laughs) okay I'm good sorry just got to deal with that business these are real life problems of public speaking right yeah, just pray to God you don't get Montezuma's revenge when you're up uh, in front of people. <laughs> TMI. Okay, so David, this is a theoretical fear. This is like real deal in the valley of the shadow of death, this real-life fugitive story. Now, I totally confused the movie The Bodyguard and The Fugitive in first service, and I started singing Whitney Houston, and we had a laugh moment, and this time I'm not going to do that. So there is, a, <laughs> there is a, a, a movie called The Fugitive, right? And who stars in it? Harrison Ford. I said it was, who did I say? You remember? Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner. Yeah. And then I started seeing Whitney Houston, and they're like, that's the bodyguard, and it was awesome. You had to be here for that, right? First service. So David is living out this real-life fugitive movie, and he's going through the valley of the shadow of death. It wasn't, wasn't just false evidence appearing real type fear. This was real evidence appearing real, losing his family going through all of that. But this imagery that David gives us of the rod and the staff, what we find is that he, he never stopped giving us this picture of the shepherd continuing to lead. That the shepherd, yes, takes you to the green pastures. The shepherd, yes, takes you to the still waters. But when you're in the valley, it doesn't mean you missed God. How many of you have ever gone through something tough, walked through the valley of the shadow of death, right? And you thought, well, God abandoned me. Or, or I, I'm, you know, being, I'm under attack by the devil, Uh, Not that you couldn't be attacked, but very, very rarely is that the case. More so, it's the shepherd leading you through life because he has purpose that he wants to work in your life, and he never stopped leading you. But David says this, even though I'm in this situation, even though I'm walking through this fearful time, I will not be afraid. So how did he choose to not be afraid? And there's three lessons just in this one verse here. Number one, he could choose not to be afraid because God is close. You might be going through the valley, but you need to understand the truth is that he will never leave you nor forsake you. And as hard as it gets and as bad as it may be, God is close to you. We have a a God that is not just transcendent. He is eminent. He actually is present and with us in our pain. He embraced our struggle. Listen what it says about uh, Jesus prophetically from Isaiah chapter 53 about the suffering servant that says he was despised and rejected a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief we turned our backs on him and looked the other way he was despised and we did not care in the book of Hebrews we learn that we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses he was tested he was tried yet without sin jesus is not aloof and kind of like whatever to your problems he actually knows what it feels like to suffer He knows what it feels like to be rejected, and he chose to embrace that pain. The cross is the living testament of the fact that we have a God that is not far from us but close and actually embraced our pain and through him brings healing and resurrection life. That is the message of the kingdom of God, that the same God that made all new things will come again to make all things new and bring healing and restoration But he didn't just abandon us in our pain and leave us in there and kind of laugh at us and say, get it right next time and figure it out. He came down, suffered with us, and said, follow me as we get through the valley. Being in the valley doesn't mean you miss God. It doesn't mean that he abandoned you. He's close to you, and he's close to us in our painful moments. I was reflecting about this as I was studying for this message. You know, Before Bethany and I had Evie, we had a pregnancy, and uh, we were about 11 or 12 weeks along with our first child, and we had a miscarriage, and it was so deeply painful. I remember uh, we had told her parents and my parents, and we were excited, and they bought us some presents, and we were ready to have a baby, Uh, and we had a miscarriage, and so that was very deeply painful. I think that in our culture, you know, many times we sort of um, neglect to honor the pain and the suffering that people go through when they lose a child. And mark my words, it is a human baby. It's a child. Amen. It's not a clump of cells. Amen. It's not a biological accidents accident. It's a human life. Yes. And it's a soul that is in heaven and we'll meet our child Amen. in heaven. Uh, and we went through that time and it was dark and it was painful. We cried a lot of tears. We ate a lot of Pizza Hut pizza. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't we? we went to Abbeys and got their spuds and went to Pizza Hut and got the two pizzas. I don't know why, but we were like trying to drown pain, you know. It was good. It actually did help. <laughs> but more than any of that, God was with us in that whole time. You know, and God brings comfort in those moments. He's not far away. He was with us through it all. David goes on and he says that he has a rod and a staff why, does David, why is David not afraid? Because the shepherd is there with the shepherd's rod to protect and to fight off attack. Many times, you know, when you go through the dark valley and you're under attack, when you're under uh, whatever's going on, it can feel like, you know, not, well, God's here, but what's he doing? Well, he's there with that shepherd's rod. In ancient times, the shepherd would have that staff with the, the shepherd's, you know, the crook so he could guide the sheep. But he also had the rod to be able to fight off the wild animals and to fight bandits and fight off the attack. And you have a God that isn't a mamby-pamby. He's there to protect you. He fights for you. Come on, we serve the, 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 the God who is the lion of the tribe of Judah, God shows up, and when he plays golf, his score, if he plays 18 holes, is 18. Like, he dominates, right? He always wins. Some of you have to take, think that through for a while. Uh, but he shows up, and he always has victory. God is not a loser. God is a winner. Yeah, yeah. And he's not, he doesn't leave his children all by themselves. He actually protects us and guards. And there's that, that rod. There's strength in the power of God to come against the evil one and come against the enemy. That rod is there to fight off attack. And when we go through that valley, you know, hey, he's got me. He's protecting me. David goes on. He says, I'm not afraid because he's, he's with me. He's got that rod that protects me, but he also has that staff that comforts me. He brings that comfort, that shepherd's staff that gets us back on track. That staff is a symbol of authority. It says there's a shepherd here that is on, on patrol. There's some, somebody you can trust. You don't have to be afraid. You can be comforted. I'm here. I'm going to guide you. It represents authority. It represents stability. It represents guidance. He's still the shepherd, even when you're in the valley, that's there to comfort you and say, it's okay. Uh, you can rest even as we go through this time. The shepherd is there. And that's why David says, I don't need to be afraid. I don't need to be controlled by fear. I was talking about this today in our... Tag in before service that as a Christian you're called to be more than a conqueror. It means you're to dominate fear, dominate sin, dominate insecurity, not in your own strength, but because you have a great God that is for you, not against you. And so David is comforted. Jesus said in John 16:30, 30, 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We can be comforted and not be afraid, even in the dark valley. David goes on. In Psalm 23, he says, You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. And this is where we get hungry right now at almost 12, right? <laughs> Ready for that feast. You're like, I'd even eat with people I don't like just to, uh, just to go to have that feast. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Now, some of you hear this verse, and I need to work on your interpretation. Because I can tell you're thinking about your family like at Thanksgiving. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies, right? <laughs> you're thinking about... That in-law or that cousin or whatever, that, uh, anyways. It's not a reference to your holiday fa- family gathering. And the good news is you can use these, you know, restrictions this year to get out of the awkward social gatherings, right? They're like, hey, we're going to come to your house for Thanksgiving. No, we're going to honor the, the law. We don't want to break the law, so. Unfortunately, you're going to have to go to, to Denny's and have Thanksgiving. So, uh, no, no, no. But David says, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. What is he talking about here? The fact that in God, you can have a party in the middle of the problem. I never really got this, you know, this verse was like, why would you want to eat a feast in the presence of your enemies? You know what I mean? You're like, oh, this is good. Check it out, suckers, you know. <laughs> it didn't really make sense to me. But then, two years ago, I had an opportunity to go visit the nation of Israel. And uh, modern Israel is this tiny little nation, and it, it, it's um and it's, it's really small. Uh, it's kind of like the size of one of our counties in Oregon, really. It's about 100 and something miles long. At the narrowest point, it's 13 miles wide. This is a country, okay? A country, 13 miles wide. Like you could walk across in half a day, right? I mean, I don't know how fast you walk. Maybe it would take me longer. But anyways, at the widest part, it's only 50 miles wide. When I went to Israel, we, were, we went to the north of Israel. We were at this valley, uh, and it was about 25 or 30 miles from Damascus in Syria, um, you could almost see it in the distance. Uh, we we're looking at Mount Hermon or Mount Bashan there. And our guide said to us, um, right now, there are, there are jets up in the sky that you literally cannot hear or see. But at any moment, they're ready to strike if there's an attack. Uh, he said, within, within two-mile radius of you right now where you stand are 100 of the world's most dangerous terrorist groups that are actively operating now. And I'm like, I'm ready to get back on the bus, you know? <laughs> The the nation of Israel, they have enemies that surround them. And I'm not, you know, I know there's different people's perspectives on this, whatever. But the reality is there are enemies. There's a conflict that's going on. And there are enemies surrounding. And yet they live their lives. People are drinking coffee. They're going to ice cream. They're eating at restaurants. Even though a mile away, across the border, there's an enemy that wants to attack at all times. So we're we're there. Uh, We ended up going to a little place called, or a town called Starat or Stero in southern Israel. And it's right along the, the Gaza Strip. And why don't you show this picture real quick? We went to a playground, and this is a caterpillar that you see here. But you see the opening? You can kind of see it behind the pole there. The, the reason that if you look at how thick that is, and if you go inside, there's actually lines, is that's a bomb shelter. Because just about every hour, uh, on average, in this town of Israel, a rocket or a bomb comes down on that town. So every single house in that city has a bomb shelter, every single one. Every playground has a bomb shelter for the kids because living under attack and in the presence of enemies is a life. And yet everything is painted bright colors. The population of that town is actually growing as people in Israel say, we want to live our lives, we're not going to live under fear. So we're actually going to push back against fear by living right where it's the hottest to show our enemies that we aren't going to give in. Uh, when I pulled into that town, we actually saw a spire of smoke. And living in Oregon, we always think when you see smoke, oh, it must be like a burn pile. Uh, you know, but it wasn't a burn pile. What happens is the winds come off the Mediterranean, and so in the Gaza Strip, they'll actually take uh, balloons and tie incendiary devices in order to light the fields on fire. And so what we were observing was one of those incendiary devices had come down, and it was on fire, and they were going to go put it out, and yet people are still drinking coffee. How many of you think the real estate prices would drop? <laughs> In our town, if if it was like, well, you know, it's a lovely view, there are occasional rocket attacks. (laughs) Show the next picture. This is a police station there where they've just collected some of the shrapnel of all these rockets that fall. It goes around behind the building and all around the front. uh, That literally, I mean, on the hour, just on average, at some points, it'll be like every five or 15 or 10 minutes. I mean, just boom, 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 boom. Again, every home has a bomb shelter. And yet people are living their life, there's joy, there's, there's, there's life. And it made sense to me when I was there, I was like, oh, this is what it means. God provides for you, even if you were surrounded on all sides by enemies, even in the midst of conflict, you are still able to have a joyful life. Maybe today you're worried about our nation and what's going to happen and who's going to be president and what's going to this or that or whatever. We're all kind of like, what's going to happen, right? It's crazy times. But you know what? No matter what, no matter who's president, no matter what goes on, no matter any of it, God prepares a table for you in the presence of your enemies. We had one last story from Israel, just because it's awesome that I got to go and I want to brag about it more. So (laughs) just kidding, a little bit. But we actually got to have a Passover meal uh, at this wonderful family's home in Jerusalem. And we were there in Jerusalem and we ate Passover with them, and I'm not Jewish. Uh, I don't know anything about Jewish. I just can go and talk like that, you know. That's all I can do. <laughs> I'm not Jewish. Some of the other pastors on the trip were like wearing the yarmulke, and I was like, I'm not Jewish. I don't do that. So, anyways, but it was an awesome time being at Passover and this wonderful family having this incredibly wonderful meal, this joyful time. Uh, we actually found out that the guy whose house we were in was Benjamin Netanyahu's cousin. So we were like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> but uh, we were there, and they had this wonderful, peaceful, incredible meal, and yet all the time, every day, there's war. There's, there's, it, it's all there. Every 18-year-old in Israel has to go into obligatory military service. It's not like a, you just have to go. You have to do it. God prepares a table for you in the presence of your enemies. Even in the midst of crisis, even in the midst of that, like seeing that there and the joy that goes on, not just... Uh, Jewish people, but the Arabs that live in Israel, the wonderful people that live at peace, Palestinians, all of them, they're all there. Everybody's surrounded by enemies in that area, and yet God is working. We met wonderful, beautiful Christians that are Israeli, ones that are uh, Arabs. I mean, it's a wonderful place, you know, and, and obviously you need to pray that God will bring peace to that area, but God prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. David goes on, he says, the Lord anoints my head with oil. The sheep on the busy, dusty trail, you know, as they go through, they'd get bruised, and they'd get tangles in their their hair, and this oil would be used to soothe and to heal. At night, the shepherd takes the oil and begins to cleanse the wounds of the sheep, the bruises and things they got during the day, and begins to untangle their hair. This is what this anointing oil is. It represents healing. You know, as you go go through the valley in life, all of us, we, we hurt other people, and we get hurt. There's abuse. There's mental and physical and sexual abuse. We we go through things. We get wounded. We get hurt. People get hurt in church. We get hurt and the Lord heals. This is a beautiful promise, a beautiful picture that the shepherd comes and anoints your head with oil, that he has that healing for you. You don't have to be marked forever by your trauma and known and labeled by your pain. You can be be, uh, healed and restored in the name of Jesus by the anointing that he has for you. And then David finishes off this verse. He says, my cup overflows with blessings. And when I hear that, I just think about the Lord of the Rings when Pippin the Hobbit declares, it comes in pints. (laughs) (laughs) They're at the bar, you know, and the hobbits always have the little drinks. And then he gets this huge pint when they're at full-size human places. And he says, it comes in pints, you know. God has blessing for you and goodness, and it comes in pints. Come on. (laughs) Now, some of you need to make sure you understand I'm saying that metaphorically and not too literally because... You're like, well, I better go take that verse literally and go knock down a few pints. No, (laughs) take it up with Jesus. But anyways, when God's blessing comes to you, God doesn't, he doesn't metered with his blessing. He's not sitting there going, well, that's enough for you, Kelly King. You've had enough, Bill Deese. Hope you enjoyed your prayer time. Now you're going to have seven dry days. (laughs) God just keeps it pouring. Your cup overflows with blessings. He is so awesome. He's so good. And last but certainly not least, David says, Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. You know that goodness and mercy, God's goodness and his grace for you and his mercy for you is literally chasing you down. When I was young, I actually had two years. I lived with my grandparents, or my whole family did, my my parents and all of us. We lived with my grandparents, and they owned a, a ranch in Eagle Point, Oregon. 27 acres and so I got to spend all that time running around goofing off and that was my nature time in life you know enjoying it since rejected that lifestyle but <laughs> I, uh, I had a great time but on the ranch there were lo- there was animals we had cows and we had chickens and roosters and we had uh, geese and the geese lived down by the pond and there was this one goose and my dad named him Toulouse the goose and that that was a mean sucker and that goose would chase me and one time he chased me down and bit me in the rear end. <laughs> And it didn't feel good. And I was so scared. Maybe it didn't really hurt, but it freaked me out, right? Because it, you know, coming at you. And uh, and I think about that, that pursuit. That's God's goodness is like to loose the goose coming after you. Come on, I'm going to get you, right? He's going to get you with goodness and mercy. You think, oh, I've sinned too much. I've done too much in my life. No, God's still pursuing you. He's after you. He's chasing you down with his goodness and his unfailing love. And I think we get so connected with this idea that God is great, right? We, he's worthy of worship. He's God. He's up there. He's great. Yes, but he's also good. He wants you to taste and see that he's good. He cares about you in the, the small details of life, and he's, he's, he's chasing you down with his goodness and mercy. The shorter Westminster Catechism says this, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Worship is not just about how we glorify God. It's also about that when we glorify God, he gives us the greatest gift that any person could ever receive, which is that he gives us himself. And we actually enter into this relationship where we worship God, but we begin to enjoy his presence. He he leads us into the goodness of who he is and he restores our soul. And it's so beautiful that it's okay to experience the goodness of God and understand that you are to enjoy those pleasures in God, that, that you is the sweet times in his presence, and that he cares for you and he cares about the details of your life. And David finishes this up as he's talked about this whole journey, being led by the green pastures of still waters, and even through the valley of the shadow of death. This is where it ends. He says, And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. You know, the end of the whole journey, as the shepherd is leading you through each moment of life, the mountaintops, the valleys, the end of it for followers of Jesus is that we end up living in the house of the Lord forever. As nice as those green pastures are, as nice as that still water is, and as bad as those valleys are, nothing compares to getting into the the house of the Lord. And our end destiny is that we will live with him, we will be with him and enjoy him forever. And that's our final destination. David said in Psalms 84, verse 10, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. And this is a picture of heaven and eternity. That God is leading us on this journey in life and there's ups and there's downs that we can trust in his goodness. He's protecting us. He's guiding us. But you know what? Our final destination is not of this place. We were made for another world. We were made for heaven. We're gonna live with him forever. And the God that made all new things will make all things new. He'll wipe every tear from our eye. And it won't be needing to get the anointing well to heal those wounds because it won't be any more wounds because there won't be any more valley of the shadow of death. And the brokenness and the the groan of creation that longs to be reconciled with God will be brought together under the rule of Jesus. Come on, and all things will be made new and there won't be any more racial tension and there won't be any more economic tension and there won't be any more political tension because it'll be one perfect king eternally reigning forever. And David says, through this whole journey, this is my destination. This is the hope that followers of Christ have that the good shepherd is leading us to live in the house of the Lord forever. Father, we respond to that today. I pray, Lord, for each person in this place and all of our wonderful brothers and sisters on live stream today. Lord, we're gathered, Lord, in spirit and heart. We're gathered in in your name and you're here. I pray that you would lead us and guide us through the times and the seasons that we're walking through. God, maybe right now it looks a little bit more like this valley of, of the shadow of death. It looks a little bit more scary, but we know you've never stopped leading us and guiding us and we wanna see your glory we want to see your glory in this time, God, that Lord, as you move, as you, as you see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are here, Lord, to see that. We're following you. We're letting you lead us and guide us. You are the good shepherd. I just pray for your peace and comfort in each person's heart. Pray for that faith to rise and that encouragement would come, Lord, in every heart of every person here in this prayer and everyone hearing it on replay, Lord, that We just come together and believe in that. Bless your people today. Thank you for your goodness and mercy that pursue us all the days of our life. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes real quick. For all of us in the room today and those that are watching online or even watching on replay, there's a a moment in each of our lives where we have to make a decision. Who am I trusting to lead me in life? Where is my hope? Where is my trust? You know, the Bible's very clear that all of our sin, each of our individual sins, separated us from God but God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for our sin and to make a way for us to be reconciled with God. And you can simply call upon the name of the Lord and make a choice to follow him. You can do that right now today. And so I just want to ask you, if you're here today in the room or watching online, would you just raise your hand if you want to put your trust and faith in Jesus? Anybody here today? Just raise up your hand so I can see. And if you're watching, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody online, you can make this decision. And I want to just ask all of us together to pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, I put my faith and trust in you and in you alone. I confess my sin to you, but I've not lived up to your standard. But I thank you for your grace and mercy revealed to me at the cross where you gave your life for me and made a way for me to be reconciled with you. I give you my life, put all my trust in you, and I receive you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.